I am so excited to bring this topic to you today because it is way past due for discussion, and it has to do with gender intelligence. Uh, for the last oh, maybe few thousand years, the female side of the intelligence has been more or less sidelined uh, in favor of a more rational male way of viewing the world and running the world. And we can see now that uh, that time is coming to an end, but we have to truly begin to understand how the male and female minds work together so that we can create the kind of future we're looking for. And that's already starting to show itself in certain portions of the world and in certain industries. So we're going to be talking with a woman who has worked with some of the top companies in the world on gender intelligence to bring together uh, the way males and females both think, what they contribute and communicate to bring their company to more productive and uh, profitable levels. And we're talking with Barbara Anise. Now, in addition, we're going to be talking to Dr. Donnie Swarden, who all of you are very familiar with, and talking about the health implications of how men and women approach health systematically and personally. So let's jump right in and say hello to everybody. Welcome, ladies. It's so good to have you here. This is such an incredibly important discussion to have now. Thank you so much. So, Barbara, let's start with you. Um, here, you you have invested about three decades already in the study of this and also in consulting, but uh, you're also a mother of seven. And on many levels, you uh, started uh, really being at the tail end of the repercussions of working in a man's world before you began this work. So let's begin where you began. Let's talk about what happened with you, what you discovered, and what really uh, catapulted you on this path of researching uh, gender intelligence. Thank you. Yes, I started my career at Sony at the age of 25 years old. And um, I was, uh, they kind of shook my hand and said, good luck, I will give you one year. So I had a one-year test because I was the first woman of all these sales guys, right? And I ended up winning the rookie salesman of the year back then in the 80s and got a male watch and all that wonderful stuff. What, what, you know, over the eight years that I was there, I was very, very successful. What I found was that I was very authentic with my clients, but inside the Sony Corporation, I adopted a very male style, alpha male style. I was even sent to a service training paid by Sony uh, called Guerrilla War Tactics for Women in Business. And I was taught all these warlike ways of being, you know, and I brought that back to uh, Sony and at the year end, my 360 assessment, my boss said, oh, she's become a very dangerous woman, right? <laughs> so I needed certainness dangerous. and then I and now I'm dangerous, right? <laughs> so it was just an interesting thing for me. You know, when I left, I really thought, you know, there's something, something off here. What is it? And what I realized was as I started doing workshops for women, I heard the same stories like over and over and over again. I feel excluded. I feel dismissed. I don't feel valued. I feel I have to force into being a male model. Uh, leader. So that just took me to a whole place of researching gender differences. And that's really where I got, it was just a shock for me when I first, the first book that ever came out on this was called Brain Sex. And I think it came out in 1990. And it blew my mind. I didn't know any of these things. And uh, so what I really realized was Sony and many, many other corporations needed to transform their culture. They needed to include the diversity of what women bring to the culture. So that's how I started. 
It's fascinating. And I think we all have our stories from those eras. I mean, I worked in newsrooms. I worked in, uh, I was actually a sports uh, anchor uh, at NBC back in the day as well. And, and uh, on a local level and uh, push, you talk about the difference in how our brains function. First of all, none of the men would even talk to me. For the most part, they would talk to whoever was above me in the pecking order to please relay messages to this woman who isn't going to get it. <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed really early on, even in my field, was production style. The men would go out with a camera, you know, and they would be back and forth. So what do you think about your chances in the fight coming up tonight? Blah, blah, blah. Where I would get a camera, go into their home and look at what their dreams were and what they thought they were going to bring to their life by way of being able to box their way to the top and with that kind of abuse and the tender stories that would come out. The men, first of all, didn't like it. They're like, what are you doing taking so much time on this story? Because honestly, it was bringing dimension and it was kind of showing up their laziness at that time. So I dealt with that all through my career in media. Do you want to just kind of chime in here, Denise, on that? Because you certainly have in medicine. Well, and before medicine, remember, I was in media. And it was interesting because I was uh, started out as a reporter. I believe it was ABC at the time. might have been CBS. But doing reporting and just having this attitude of I can do this and I can compete. But having a story squashed because it would uh, necessarily, not necessarily help the sponsorship of the station. So I became very disillusioned at the beginning saying, what do you mean? This came on the AP. I want to talk about acid rain. And it, well, I was told, nope. The sponsor of one of the stations is a paper mill. We, you, you can't do this story. So what happened was they said, okay, we'll, we'll do an anchor. So I became an anchor, but guess what I was? The weather girl. Of course. <laughs> the weather girl, right? And, and I enjoyed it. It was fun for a while. I did it for, I don't know, a couple of years or a year and a half of NBC, but then I said, there's more. I had my own television talk shows. I did this, but the real science, the real, um, the real meat of, of the news was left to the men. And, and so that was a wake up. And this is in our lifetimes. We're not talking 1920 no. and 1930. Yeah, we're not that old. <laughs> no. So Barbara, what happens then in a culture where, um, not only, well, first of all, we've, we've had a huge pendulum swing from one to the other by way of how we're training our girls coming into the world and young women to the whole notion of starting with a kind of kick butt uh, superheroes in the films to what we have now today, which is the deadliest people on earth, the coldest, most calculating, strongest, toughest are women, the best assassins in the films and so forth. What kind of message are we bringing now? I mean, it's going far out of balance, it seems. Take, take it away, Barbara. It, it really is interesting to me when you look at media and what we've done. So our intention is to empower women, right? Our intention is to say, okay, let's, let's make sure women get featured, you know, the best actors, all of that stuff. And then we give them these alpha male roles, right, <laughs> that, that young women or girls don't relate to, right? I mean, they may be entertained by it, but it's not me. Right. So, I, you know, it's so interesting to me, this whole thing about get tough, smarten up, suck it up and be, you know, one of the guys. And that's what happened in corporate. Right. And that's why women left. Right. So we have many, many, many companies who has come to us in deficit. Right. What I mean by that, they had a breakdown. Right. So one, for example, was a very uh, well-known technology company 
one of the largest ones, who came to us. They'd just done a piece of research saying, where did the women go? And, uh, and this was in sales, and they couldn't retain women in sales. They literally lost 42% of women in their sales, right? We had an accounting firm who were recruiting 55 to 62% women, but they were losing them at 27% terminal rate, costing them $240 million a year, right? So that's the cost to it in terms of when you don't understand gender intelligence. But the neuroscience of it is what really opens people's brains up where they go, wow, I had no idea. I can't tell you how many men have said, why didn't I know this 20 years ago? I would have been a different boss, a different father, you know, a different brother, a different husband, etc. Exactly. So let's talk about what are some of the essential differences in the way the male and female brain function. And let's talk about how when you worked with corporations and helped bring this understanding to the fore, they were brought back into balance and became more productive, more enjoyable organizations. So we'll look at the science of it and the effect of it. Sure, of course. So one of the fundamental differences between men and women's brains is what's called how we think, problem solve, and innovate. And, and business schools are actually using this now. MIT actually has a lab now with gender mixed around innovative thinking, and they'll have both men and women in the lab, and they actually see that they produce breakthrough results in doing that. So it's called convergent thinking versus divergent thinking. So male brain tend to converge. That is closed down, seize on the issue, very linear approach, pros and cons, etc. Let's get to the fastest solution in a very transactional way, right? And women tend to use divergent thinking. How does this connect over here? Web-like thinking, because our corpus callosum is much bigger, more connected in our brain, so we access more parts of our brain. So when we see something, we say, how does this going to affect over here, over here, over here, right? That's a super important thing to take into the equation, right? And we can also read facial expressions, the mood, the ambience that's going on in a meeting, which often is oblivious to men because they're not wired that way. It's not like men don't care. They just don't pick it up. So that's one difference that's foundational. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me it's been backwards all along. Um, now, maybe in, in, in much, much more ancient times, you had women uh, more in leadership capacities or even in tribal times. Um, but we have had almost a complete lack of the feminine influence in governments, for example, until very recently. And look at the conflict around the world. I mean, it's basically we're one big war machine for the most part, um, with a couple of exceptions, which we'll get to in a bit. There are a couple of young women leaders right now who are really showing us what can be done through feminine thinking and collaboration as a nation. But before we get to that, Denise, let's look at it in terms of our own bodies and wellness and health, how men you know we always hear the stories about oh yeah i've had that pain for about 10 years i don't need to look at it <laughs> compared to women <laughs> let's talk about how we each approach approach our health challenges and responsibilities right well you know i will say that i know when a, i see a male on my schedule unless he's a professional athlete wanting to be faster better stronger unless they're that guy I know it was a woman, 98% of the time, it's going to be a woman in their life that has made them come and they're going to start out like this <laughs> and I can get them out of that saying, how well are you feeling? Or there's in such extreme pain, they've tried all kinds of other things that they come. It, that is what drives them. And it's, it's usually out of a reluctance. And we know that by the statistics, men 
are very reluctant to go to the doctor to even to complain or even tell us their symptoms. So the way I work with men has to be very different than women. And learning uh, from Barbara and the research in her books, whenever I found that, I'm like, okay, I saw this. I knew this. I, I saw it in Montessori school with my mother's uh, system when she was teaching. I saw it for 20 years when I taught Suzuki violin and piano. Very big difference in the way we learn, the way we communicate, and the way we interact. The science behind it, we learn basic brain differences. Um, no, not differences. I, I'll take that back. In medical school, we learn about the brain, the different areas. But we don't learn the differences in the gender and how those areas are different. And that is critical. And I was so excited when I started uh, looking into Barbara's work and what she's doing and just said, how, how can I help? Because we all see it. We all know it. Now we've got the science behind it. And what Barbara's being able to do is put it into programs that can really teach us how to work together for the best end result, be it a, like we said, in a corporation or just in your own family or in your own relationships. It's critical and it's exciting. And there are differences in medicine. We didn't study females until the 1990. In fact, it's still to date, most of the animal studies, the mouse studies are still in mice. It's not out of bad intention, let's leave the women out. It's just because women has, have hormonal differences. It made it harder to research and they might become pregnant. So it was all these things in the research world that we said, okay, too difficult. Let's not study women. Let's just study men. But now we know the diseases are different. How we present is differently. And the pharmacokinetics of the drugs work differently in us. We must study, and we're starting to study those differences because it's not just our brains that are different. Our bodies function differently and give different signals, and we process things differently. And that's the best medicine will become precision medicine when we're looking at these types of things. Absolutely. And let's go back to the notion of leadership. Now we're going to broaden it back out from personal um, out uh, to more, more global even. Um, we're looking at a couple of young women who have stepped into positions of power in New Zealand and I believe it's Norway and with some really fabulous results uh, economically. Um, again, this whole notion that you were talking about, Barbara, of empathy, empathizing for the situation the world has been in. In this case, we're, we've been going through a pandemic and looking at what's needed, how to protect people, how to be able to assist them to getting up to speed again if they've fallen behind economically a bit. Women's problem-solving capacities have been amazing here. Talk about that a little bit more because I want to extend that into not just you know, governmental space and corporate space, but into our own homes. There's a very distinct difference between how men and women lead, and we see that happening in particular in New Zealand right now, is men, women tend to lead through empathy and transformation, right? So they want to transform what's actually going on. Men tend to lead in hierarchically, command and control, and transactionally, right? So uh, what we see here, and I actually interviewed her recently, I asked her about, you know, what is it, what is the one thing that really, you know, with this COVID and the pandemic, and you were really to create massive breakthroughs. I mean, I know they're an island, so that, you know, there's benefits to that. And she said, empathy, I led with empathy. 
And that is the, that really is the number one value. Now, why is that? Why? Because women can see things more. Our brain are wired in a way that we can read what's actually going on. We can see the suffering in people's faces. You know what I mean? We can, we can hear the tone in their voices and so on. I don't know the two of you, if you've ever picked up a phone and you know exactly there's, there's something wrong with this person. By the way, they say hello. Instantly. You know? Right? And that's what we can pick up. Now, why is that? Our insula, which is the intuitive part of the brain, uh, is more connected and larger in women. So we have an intuition, we have a gut feeling. And in the workplace, when we share that, when we say things like, wait a minute, I don't have a good feeling about this. You know, people are gonna say, feeling? What? We don't have time for feeling. What's that about, right? And there's some real intelligence there that you could gather from that women have. There's As some real women- problems that could be avoided if some people listen to these feelings. You know, yes. these intuitions that uh, women have come up with in the workforce and, and men as well at times. We've ignored that completely. Let's talk about the notion of what happens in the workplace when you have challenge. Uh, the way the women's brain is wired, the way the men's is, the notion of the amygdala involvement and the frontals. Sure. Let's talk about what happens there. Yeah, we used to assume that the amygdala for men and women was exactly the same, the way it reacted, fight or flight. Like we've heard that. A thousand times, right? And it actually is only a male brain, right? For women, the prefrontal cortex, which is the consequential thinking of the brain, uh, is larger in women. It actually also develops earlier in girls versus boys. So it develops at age 14 and uh, 18 to 22 in boys, right? So that's why you see boys and young men taking a lot of risk, like uncalculated, like, what are you thinking? I mean, I can remember my son, Christian, I would say, what were you thinking when you did that, right? You go, I don't know, right? He just didn't have it. It just wasn't yeah. connected, right? Now, it, it is further developed as an adult brain in women continuously. So what does that mean when you're dealing with an issue or a problem is that women can see the potential downside or consequences to certain things, right? So we call it risk-wise, right? Um, but, but it is being misinterpreted as being risk-adverse, this is really important, by the way. This is really important because there's a lot of myth out there about women avoiding risk. Absolutely not true. Women calculate risk, right? When we invest, when we make decisions, right? Because we have this prefrontal cortex where we say, okay, what's the impact? If I make this, this if I jump from here to here, am I going to break my legs? This is the simplest person, right? But if I make this decision, investing here, this amount of money or something like that, what, what does that look like 20 years out, 30 years out, et cetera? And how does it impact the entire ecosystem? So very much this divergent uh, approach, right? Now, amygdala fight and flight, women tend to befriend. So when we're in critical, I, I know you as mothers, I'm sure you, 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 you know exactly what I'm talking about. When there's an argument or something like that, we go out, we go out, we go out, we reach out, we tend to befriend, we appease the situation. In the workplace, that's happening when we empower women. So, for example, in law, in um, police, we've seen women police officers behaving very differently in a crisis situation where men will escalate the situation and they will de-escalate the situation. So smart police uh, uh, branches are actually using women on the front line when they're in family crisis situations. Men are backing, you know, back up, but women are going in there calming it down right? Be able to, 
you know, let you let go of the weapons or whatever is going on type thing, right? That is a male, that's a female brain at work. You know, it's interesting because um, I cannot uh, cite the name of the study, but it had to do with the observation that when thrown in a situation of survival, say literally a situation in nature where one's survival is at stake and one has no preparation for it, that oftentimes the women will survive better than the men because the men will see it as something they, they've got to know and, and tackle and be able to master where the women will start crying literally just the release of all of the stress and then start looking around and seeing what there is to use and can be done. Um, Denise, why don't you go ahead and comment on this one? And then Barbara, you too, because this is about our own, this is about survival at the basis level, but it has implications again to more subtle aspects of life. That's right. Well, the stress coping behavior we know is different between men and women. Um, just looking at um, obesity, that, that in, when it's stress, men turn to alcohol and tobacco and women turn to food. And how we gain the weight, where we gain the weight, those are all different and they're related to how we handle stress. When we start understanding this, then like you said, if we're out in the, in the desert or wherever we are and there's a bear coming, um, at that moment, really, the male brain might have a little bit better effect of surviving because he's going to think quickly, directly, and immediately, very quickly, what do we do right here, right now? Whether it's right or not, he made a decision. So if I had to choose in that situation, I'd say the male brain might be a little bit better survivor. But to your but point- let's remove the bear from- That's, that's what I'm saying. Back out there. So that's what I'm saying. Without the bear, and it's just stressful situation, the women using um, their, in, the, their, I won't say better, their bigger and uh, more connected insula, to use their intuition to look at the entire picture. Are there bears out there? Are we going to starve before we're going to do this? Or are we going to break down mentally where we can't even as a group function at all? Women will look at the, the entirety. But that's the beauty of this, Regina, is that we are different. We function differently. And if we understand that, we can bring that to the workplace, to our families and say, let's work together and understand each other. Now we can survive the bears a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. How do we begin educating our school systems? How do we begin in our own families? Barbara, you have seven children. Uh, let's talk about how we start with the little ones because it's going to take, as it took 30 years for the one woman you spoke about to observe these changes in the corporate world, it's going to take probably a good generation or two before this has equalized to good effect. Talk about it from your point of view as a mother and also in the school systems, what we can do, Barbara. Yes, thank you. I absolutely agree. We need to uh, get it into the school system. And there are schools out there, thank goodness, mm -hmm. who have gender intelligence embedded in the system. And I'll tell you why that is so important. We're actually hurting boys today. 
Why? Because 92% of, of women are elementary school teachers, right? And if they don't know, they don't know how boys learn differently. They're actually giving them labels, you know, just give me one example. My daughter is a kindergarten teacher, right? Brilliantly gender intelligent, right? <laughs> and when she was uh, going in and observing class before she started teaching, she, had, she was in a, a kindergarten. So you know what age that is, right? And there was this boy that was standing by his desk the entire day, right? And she asked the teacher, why is he standing the entire day? And she said, oh, he's a problem child. And, she's, and she said, why is he a problem child? Well, he won't sit still. Well, guess what? Boys don't sit still. They're wired differently, kinesthetically. They need to move around. They need to tap. They, need to, they can't pay attention sitting like girls can, observing and absorbing the, the lessons, right? So that's one major blind spot that's happening in school, in the school system today around how boys and learns differently. There is a book. It's not one of the five that I've written, but there's a book by Dr. Leonard Sachs, S-A-X, called Why Gender Matters, that I highly recommend for parents and teachers to read. It will give you tremendous insight into how you can do that. But yes, we need to get it into the younger uh, generations for sure. And we're making a great effort in making sure it gets embedded in there. Denise, comments on this? You know, being a Suzuki music teacher before medicine and my mother being an international Montessori school teacher, we saw it. We knew it. And the beauty about Montessori was allowing them to choose. You would show them how to do a math or this or that and allow those children to choose the timing, what they were interested in, and go and learn. It was a beautiful system. And I think it works so well because it in itself is gender intelligent. Um, they're not making everybody fit into a box. As Barbara says, you have to sit still or you have to think this way or that way or learn this way or that way. And if you don't fit in that box, you're that problem child. And what a label to start with from the beginning. And you could look at the mental illness that we have in our society today. Well, very, drugging, very, if, if I may say, and drugging children because they can't sit still, putting them on Ritalin, for example. Yes. What that a crime. Was, that was the next point, is that we're trying to medicate to make everyone learn the same, be the same, think the same, and have the same personality. We're trying to medicate it because it's seen as a problem if it's going to cause extra work or a problem within the system. And we need to change the environment in the system. We're not going to change the kids unless we just keep them all um, over-medicated so that they're just not a problem, but they're not going to develop the way that they should. What about stress? Because this is a big one. Every human being, male and female. And Barbara, pick up on this one, how we de-stress as females, how we de-stress as males, because I think we're all going to see ourselves in this story. Yes. We also need to know that women can deal with stress very, very well. But, and I say but on purpose, we have more stress. So in the workplace, we have twice more stress and at home four times greater. Now, why is that? we see so much more into situations, right? So when you go home and you walk into the door, you scan your house or apartment, whatever, and you can see all the things that needs to get done, right? When my husband comes home, he heads for the chair. He doesn't notice if he has to step over something. Same with my sons, right? They don't notice it because it just doesn't pick up. Now, back to the stress, as you saw in my TED talk, I show a brain scan 
with the resting male brain and the resting female brain. And you saw that when men are resting, not sleeping, resting, relaxing, there's very little brain activity going on. And when women are resting, their brain is on fire, right? Their so brain looks like is women are in fully engaged and active in their it. resting pattern. You got it. Very, very hard for women to turn off their brain. That's right. And, and that's, that plays into insomnia that we know about 67% of women that, that have been um, analyzed by the National Sleep Foundation says within the last month, they've had at least a couple of nights and 46% of women say they have problems every night. Women in general have more insomnia than men, harder to turn off the brain and, and stop that stress. Absolutely. Observationally, um, I see that's true. I always tease my husband, you guys can slip, sleep on a picket fence. What's <laughs> up with this? <laughs> so let's talk about that in terms of how we distress then, Barbara, because um, we, distre we de-stress differently. Yes. So I don't know how many, I always all over the world, I'll ask women this question, you know, when he's relaxing and you ask him, what are you thinking? What does he say? And I hear the same answer all over the world. He says nothing. <laughs> and I say, by the way, he's not lying. And they're like shocked. What do you mean he's not lying? Right? No, he can actually turn his brain off. And they say, it's impossible. Why? Because we think we're the same, right? So I think that, you know, when Paul is relaxing and he says nothing, I think he's hiding something or withholding or not caring, right? When he's actually just relaxing, right? So important for us not only to know about this, but to respect it and to have affinity for it. Um, you know, I, with my sons, I always tried to get them to talk to me, you know, about their feelings or something like that when they were relaxing. And it's just... I got nothing. I got nothing, right? Uh, because I assumed that their brain was just a, as mine as mine is, right? So how do we de-stress? Men need to take this time out. It doesn't have to be hours or anything, but they do need to take that time out to replenish their testosterone because that's their de-stress hormone. Women need to talk it out. That's why we have conversations, right? We need to have dialogue, tend and befriend to replenish our oxytocin. That is our relaxing hormone. And those are the two very, very simple things. I mean, if you just remember this one thing, we're going to be, have our eyes open to understand what other kinds of differences can I learn about, right? Just with that particular one thing. And we're talking off camera just to talk about how early this starts showing itself um, about our sons and trying to raise them without, you know, uh, tools of violence, no guns, no knives, nothing like that. But go ahead and take it away on this. We found we had the same experience. Barbara, tell what happened with your son. Right. So my son, his first firstborn, is, his name is Christian, right? And I was going to bring him up in a very egalitarian, you know, no male, female, neutral, right, thing. So no trucks, no guns, etc. And I bought him a Ken doll. And he was around two or three years old. And he looked at this Not doll. Not a Kindle, a Ken doll. Right. Barbie and Ken. Yeah. Barbie. So I'm, I'm Danish, so sometimes the yeah. words come funny. Yeah. A doll named Ken. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at this thing and, you know, didn't even want to open the package per se. So I opened the package for him, right? And he looked at this thing and he went, okay, what, should, what am I going to do with that? Right. When girls, we look at a doll, we immediately look at the face. Immediately we, we have that relationship, right? He had no relationship to this thing. And uh, he took the leg off, pointed the other leg and started shooting, you know, pretend shooting. <laughs> He'd never even seen, seen television yet, you know? So this is what we see. Now, 
I tell you, two years ago, some brand new research came out on uh, MR scan of pregnant mothers in the second and third trimester. And they saw the exact same brain activities that we saw in the male relaxing brain, female brain, in the fetus. Mm. So what does it say? This is hardwired. This is not something we can change. This is something we need to wake up to and appreciate and own and appreciate the differences that we bring into the world. So is there an organization? Is there some means? I mean, you can't be everywhere at once. How yes. do we start introducing this into our educational system, into our corporate uh, world, into our, uh, literally into politics and government, into life? Where do we begin? I know you've already begun. You've been out there. You're, you've been a warrioress uh, along this line for quite a long time. But where else can we go? What are our resources? Well, you know, one of the gifts of one of my clients gave me was asking me this question. How, and it was, it was American Express, and his name was Ken Cheneau, who was the CEO at the time. And he said, you need to get this out globally. That is, I challenge you to get it out globally. Mm-hmm. And I went, where am I going to begin, right? I mean, I have 67 associates, but that's nothing, right, to get it out globally. And, uh, and I then partnered with Pearson Education, number one educational company, and we created a Be Gender Intelligent certification program online. So we now have an online solution that we can offer teachers, students, etc. And we want to offer it for free in elementary school so we can get them educated that way. And then, of course, make it available to the entire world. Uh, it's an incredible tool and you get all the neuroscience there. You get how men and women communicate differently, negotiate differently, how to get feedback to women versus men. I mean, there are many, many, many things that you can learn from there. So that was a gift that uh, Pearson gave us uh, to develop that. Again, give us the name of it so people can write it down and know where to look. Yeah, Be Gender Intelligence, and you can go to our our website, Mm genderintelligence.com, and it's available there. Yeah. Okay, very good. And Denise, both of you, I'd like you to chime in on some of the most hopeful and fascinating research in this area that's happening right now uh, before we sign off. So we kind of know what our future is going to look like. Well, in medicine, I'm just glad that we're starting to um, do more uh, studies on women or for female brains and women because it's been geared toward men for all the reasons that we talked about before. So that's exciting. But I'm looking at all the differences that we know about. We've known for a while that women and men present differently with a heart attack and that many women died unnecessarily because they were sent home from the ER because they didn't present with the chest, you know, the pressure on the chest and down the radiating down the left arm. It felt more like a flu. We're seeing this for Parkinson's bowel movements, obesity, the way we handle stress, depression, women have more depression, um, more osteoporosis, migraines, Alzheimer's, uh, you know, these urinary tract MS. We know in medicine now that there are more, we have more predisposition for certain diseases, whether we're male or female. A lot of it may have to do with hormones, but it doesn't matter. Yes, we'll understand the mechanisms. It's it's about that they're there. We need to be looking at it. Men have uh, Parkinson's disease more often and autism and kidney stones and so forth. So I'm excited that the research in the medical world is going there. That is very hopeful. Um, that precision medicine 
includes looking at these differences using AI, the artificial intelligence, to look at that. And let's get these algorithms and not ignore the fact that we are different from in utero, as Barbara is saying. We are from before we're physically born into this world, we're already different. And the differences in the health and the and disease and how we handle uh, the pharmacokinetics. We take drugs differently. It's not just the dosage. We our bodies process the drugs. The pharmacokinetics are different. So that's exciting to me that we'll be more precise in medicine and in health and be looking at this self-care renaissance that now, uh, you know, uh, traditional medicine is saying, let's make the hospital be more spa-like. Let's change the environment that, that wellness uh, are, are starting to say, hey, we should have some science. We're making all these claims in the wellness world. Let's start putting some data behind it. So that's what I'm excited about, Regina, is that wellness and healthcare converging for self-care. And self-care means we need to be educated. And a very important piece is what Barbara's talking about in teaching. Absolutely. That's very hopeful. Barbara, some of the newest science on the horizon for you. So the good news is, and this has been 20 years in the making for me, is I wanted to get these amazing neuroscientists a voice. They're in their labs. They're researching all these gender differences. It gets vetted by their peers, peer-reviewed, which is the biggest mistake, by the way, peer review, because peer review, you know what it means. It, if it doesn't fit my mindset, then it doesn't exist kind of thing, right? Um, to get it out there. So we are actually in the, in the middle of a, a documentary series on gender uh, differences from every aspect, including LGBT, like the entire spectrum of gender differences. Fascinating. We're going to cover boys and girls. We're going to cover politics, business relationship, parenting, schools, and the list goes on. So that is something that I'm super excited about getting out there. I'm excited for you and for all of us. Now, where will we likely be able to see this once it's completed? We will announce it through our LinkedIn. So if you want to join my LinkedIn uh, community, mm -hmm. we will be announcing it there. And we're actually going to uh, uh, send learning nudges out there on LinkedIn so little nudges around, here's a, here's a, here's a fa fun fact, here's a fun fact, right? Just to continue to build uh, new learning into our brains on this. This is almost like a user's guide to humanity. Why haven't we had this for thousands of years? I mean, well, we probably, we could, we could try to deconstruct that one, but there's let no me, point. Let me, let me jump in on this. I think we have as, to some extent, and then we just forgot it and got away from it. If we look at ancient healing traditions, this was mind, yes. body, spirit. The female was, was divine. The male energy, female, it was differentiated. It was, and it was respected, and they worked together. True. We've gotten away from that. Ancient healing still has that in there. My ASU class, I teach that. So that's what yeah. I'm saying. I, we've just forgotten it. Right on. So I want to thank you both. I know you're both extraordinarily busy. And again, it's a pleasure to meet you, Barbara. I haven't talked with you before. And Denise, it's always wonderful having you here. Um, I am so excited about the futures of this field for all of our sakes. So again, thank you for taking the time for being here today. Thank you, Regina. Thank you. Thank you, Regina. Mm -hmm.
And so, so if you'd like to find their work and connect with either Denise or Barbara, you can go to drwarden.com to connect with Denise, and you can go to genderintelligence.com to connect with Barbara and the ongoing research and also her LinkedIn page. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>